Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to um, our third podcast. Um, my name is Russell Perkins. I'm the clinical content lead for Anesthesia 2021 to be held in May next year at Old Trafford in Manchester. I'm an elected council member uh, as well as a paediatric anaesthetist up here in Manchester. This afternoon, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you uh, Professor Rupert Pearce. Uh, Rupert works at Queen Mary's and Bart's Hospital in London, um, and he's going to be talking to us next year about the PRISM trial. So first off, Rupert, can I ask us to just ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Russell. Um, thanks for the very kind invitation to uh, do the podcast and for the talk as well. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a professor of intensive care medicine at Queen Mary University of London. I work clinically as an ICU doctor at the Royal London Hospital, which is in Whitechapel in East London. Um, uh, I am a trained anaesthetist, but I haven't done anaesthesia for some years. But my major research interest is all around perioperative care and in particular the high-risk surgical patient, that older patient with a lot of complex medical problems, and looking at how we can better identify high-risk patients and how we can change their care to try and improve the outcomes that they have. Because we know that more and more and more of these patients are, are having surgery uh, and that our systems of looking after surgical patients aren't changing to accommodate those older patients with a high incidence of comorbid diseases. Okay, Rupert, can you tell us a little bit more about your general um, research interests uh, outside of what you've just described? Yeah, sure. So I, I call it perioperative medicine, um, which is a, a help, helpful label for me. Um, because it, it spans across not just anaesthesia, but a whole raft of other, um, not only medical disciplines, but professions within healthcare. Uh, and it has a greater meaning for others outside the specialty of anaesthesia. So for me, that's useful. Um, but I try not to get too bogged down with those semantics. I think it's much more important about what people do necessarily than, than what labels they give to what they do. But for, for me, the concept of perioperative medicine is a very helpful one to promote the idea of the fantastic skills that the anaesthetist has being used to improve patient care, not just inside the operating theatre, but outside the operating theatre as well. Now, I don't for a moment suggest that that making sure surgery itself is as safe and as effective as possible isn't ever going to be the main job of anaesthesia but we know that we have obstetric anaesthetists that we have pain anaesthetists that we have people doing preoperative assessment clinics that we have anaesthetists working in a whole range of different disciplines outside the operating theater where they can have a really positive impact and i see perioperative medicine as being one of those and the majority of my research has been around underpinning that emerging concept of clinical care. So I've done a lot of what we call epidemiology, so describing the population of surgical patients and helping us to understand them. Uh, we've done some work around changing individual aspects of what we do, of which the PRISM trial is one example. Um, increasingly, we're looking at ways of getting the patient much more at the centre of what we do. And we have a big ongoing programme of research called OSIRIS, 
which is all about shared decision making for complex patients. And then finally, I'm starting to get a little bit involved in global health research for perioperative care in low and middle income countries like Uganda, South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, and so on. Okay, thank you, Rupert. That sounds really very interesting. Um, let's just talk a little bit about PRISM. Uh, why did you think that the trial was necessary? So, um, I'm what you would call an applied health researcher. So, I'm not a discovery scientist. I'm not looking for a new drug. I'm not looking for a new biomarker or a new test. I'm trying to work out whether the real world of the NHS and the things that we do in the real world of the NHS can be improved. So we know from small trials, mostly single centre, that patients who are given CPAP after major abdominal surgery can Im have improved outcomes in terms of uh, uh, need for reintubation after surgery or incidence of pneumonia and pulmonary complications and so on. But we know that those trials are done in smaller hospitals where there are lots of enthusiasts who are very, very expert and very, very good at making sure that intervention is delivered really, really well. So that's what I would call the perfect world environment. And these small trials have answered the question, can this treatment work? We know in those small trials that post-operative CPAP can work in, in well-controlled circumstances. What we really want to know now is when we roll that treatment out to the real world of the NHS, which I'm sure your hospital isn't like this, but in my hospital, we regularly have patients pitching up for operating theatres late. We, we regularly have trouble scheduling uh, an operating theatre list. We have patients turning up with severe comorbidities that we didn't expect. All sorts of problems happen in the day-to-day -day delivery of surgical care in my hospital um, and in lots of other hospitals as well. And those problems make treatments like CPAP much harder to deliver well, much harder to deliver effectively. Um, and that's the real world of the NHS, and that's the real world of healthcare. And if we're going to use treatments like CPAP in the real world of healthcare, we need to do trials that show they work in the real world of healthcare. Because it's not enough that it works in the perfect environment and then we go and implement it. Because these treatments are quite expensive to implement, they have a big impact on the resources that we've got to look after other patients, either beneficially by improving patient outcomes and reducing the need for hospital beds, or in a negative sense, if they don't work, they, they use up the time of the nurses in your busy recovery ward and in recovery unit. My hospital is very, very busy, so they don't want to do extra things if they don't have to. So we have to answer those kinds of questions. And, and that's what I would call, does it work? So the smaller trials have answered the question, can CPAP work? And now PRISM is answering the question, does CPAP work? Does it work in the real world? That's, that's very, very, very interesting. Um, one final question. Can you place the trial into context of the backlog of surgical cases that there is going to be following the, the pandemic? We're all looking to to see what's on the horizon when vaccines and tests and everything, and we, we, we begin to return to a normal. Do you see that the, the, the trial will have a place in allowing us to work differently then? 
So, I mean, as we sit here now, uh, Russell, the, the, the future uh, of, of surgical care in, in nine months' time uh, is, is, is an unnerving idea. Um, or how we'll be delivering surgical care is very uncertain and something that we're all really, really worried about. I think that we know that whatever we do, we want that surgical care to be as safe as possible. We do not want patients getting complications, especially not pulmonary complications after surgery. We know that patients who get COVID after major abdominal surgery have a massive increase in mortality. So on that side, there's, there's that. On the other side, the and I think by the time I give my talk at Manchester in May, there will be roughly a backlog of roughly three and a half million cancelled operations. Some colleagues of mine have done some fantastic work on that. Um, uh, Alex Fowler and Tom Abbott, and, and, and they've shown a, a conservative estimate of three and a half million cases. So if if that is, is greater than that, the pressure on surgical services to be lean and efficient and not waste any time on things that don't help becomes equally important too. So whether PRISM as a large multi-centre international trial shows the treatment works and it can improve patient outcomes and it's something that we can do and we can justify doing it and we've got the health economics to show that it's justified, that means we can go to our managers and insist that it happens. If it turns out that CPAP doesn't work, we know that we don't need to waste any time on using those resources and slowing down the pathway, as is happening in some hospitals in some countries. But that, that, that gives us a real um, flavour and a taster of what we can expect from your talk uh, next May. So I'd really, really like to thank you for your time this afternoon. And again, thank you again for agreeing to come and share the results of your trial with us next May. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the results. Um, so thank you and good afternoon. That's a pleasure. Thanks for chatting. Thank you for listening to this RCOA podcast. You can book your place to hear the full talk at Anesthesia 2021, which is taking place on the 18th to the 20th of May, by visiting rcoa.ac.uk forward slash anesthesia. If you'd like to access more podcasts, videos, e-learning, webinars, as well as our full programme of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.